Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So let's get started today. Say, I choose. choose. Here's a big one. Serving Serving. over withdrawing. Serving Serving. over withdrawing. Now, if you think back in the last few weeks, we've talked about a lot of different uh, things that we choose. How many know when we choose in life, it takes us down a certain path? I mean, there's just no question about it. And so we've talked about things like choosing love over fear. Uh, We've talked about choosing purpose over popularity or the important over the urgent. Again, you can hear those messages both on podcasts and the website. But I choose serving over withdrawing. When I was looking at this, you know, when we make a choice, we're usually choosing one way or the other, right? And so I thought, what is the best way? Because I could have said, I choose serving over not serving. But there, there's a reason. I just keyed in. It's like, you ever read something that just kind of jumps off the page at you? And, and so I saw this idea of withdrawing. Now, think about withdrawing. Withdrawing is not always bad. There were times in the ministry of Jesus where Jesus would withdraw. He would get away from the crowds. He would get away from his disciples. Why? So he could get with Heavenly Father. He could reconnect spiritually. How many know sometimes in this life we can get drained? You can get drained sometimes in service, even if it's good, right? Even if it's just mentally, even if it's just physically, sometimes we can get drained. And so there's something about withdrawing that's really important so we can kind of, uh, you know, re-energize, you know, uh, re-energize the batteries and kind of be ready for what? Going back into serving again. Because that's really what Jesus shows us life's about. But, you know, there's times where some of us, we withdraw and then we stay there. We, we just stay there. there it's like uh, serving, I, I don't know. And there's many reasons why we might do that. But there's a key verse in the Gospel of Mark, verse, or chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus said these words. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. Now, we can just do a quick reading over this and go, yeah, that makes sense. But think about this. Jesus, God in flesh, the incarnation, is saying, we could, we could say like this, God himself is saying, I didn't come to this planet or this earth or this relationship to be served. Now that'll rock your world, right? But to serve. Why did Jesus do that? As an example to what it looks like to walk out humanity in the kingdom. I mean, how, how many would say Jesus is my example? I follow Jesus. Is that anything that's unscriptural? And what did Jesus do? You know, there were times in the ministry of Jesus where he would, he would begin to withdraw, but the pull of the people was so strong, he chose to serve instead. I don't always do that. But see, the Jesus in us is striving to serve, not always be withdrawn. So again, Jesus says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. Let me ask you this question. How many here are competitive? See, the most competitive, their hand went up fast, right? Most of us are, right? Like, like it's that urge to win all the time. My kids are extremely competitive. I don't care if it's my nine-year-old or my 31-year-old. I mean, all my kids, they're extremely competitive all the time. I don't know where they get it from. It must be Kristen. Because I am so laid back. Like, I mean, listen, it's just a game, people. That's not true. If you've spent any time with me, like, my gosh, you're so competitive. I'm like, being competitive is okay, right? 
Well, several months ago, we were playing this game. It was Hangman. How many played Hangman before? And it was a digital version on the Apple TV. And it was really cool because it was like this day, this party mode where we could all play and take turns. And so we're playing Hangman. And I'm telling you what, I was dominating. I mean, it was awesome. Like, I was feeling so good about myself, completely dominating. And I kept thinking to myself, I, didn't, I was really excited, but I kept it inside. But inside, I was saying, like, in your face, losers, right? You ever been there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No? No, Pete's perfect. But, you know, I was like, man, I'm dominating. This is awesome. So then Chris and I go head to head. So my beautiful wife, Kristen, and I were going back and forth. And I mean, I was just, I was in the mode. I was just in the zone. I was hitting it. Well, then we started changing different subjects and things. All of a sudden, it was like 87 to 87. Now, we were going to 100. That was how you won. You know, 100 points and you win. It was like 80 to 87 to 87. Then it was like 93 to 93. And I'm getting a little nervous at this point. And that competitive streak is like, there's no way, man. You're all losers. I'm the winner, right? 97 to 97. I'm like, three more points and I got this. She ends up beating me 102 to 97. I threw the control. No, I didn't. I'm just kidding. That's where your kids get it from, right? This controller, this stupid controller. Anyway, so she wins five unanswered points and I was devastated. Why? Because as humans, it's like we have this thing where we just always want to win. We tend to put ourselves first by nature, right? It's just this natural outflow sometimes of where we are in life. And even as Jesus followers, we tend to do this. And it takes time to renew our mind, right? How many would say that I'm still renewing my mind in areas? And, and it, cha- it takes time to change this thinking when it comes to being self-centered or selfishness. But look back to Mark 10. As we visit this idea of I choose serving over withdrawing, we look at uh, verse 35. And there's a story here. There's James and John. Now, these are disciples of Jesus. Now, look at this. James and John, Zebedee's sons, they came up to him. They came up to Jesus. And they said, teacher, we have something we want you to do for us. Jesus says, what is it? I'll see what I can do. <laughs> look at this. They said, arrange it so that we will be awarded the highest places of honor in your glory. One of us at your right and the other at your left. Now look at the response of Jesus. He says, you have no idea what you're asking. Are you capable of drinking the cup I drink? Of being baptized in the baptism I'm about to be plunged into? Sure, they said, why not? Clueless, right? Say clueless. It's okay. They're learning. They're growing, right? But look what Jesus said. Come to think of it, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized in my baptism. But as to awarding places of honor, that's not my business. There are other arrangements for that. Now look at this. When the other 10, say other 10. How many know Jesus had 12 disciples? When the other 10 or the other disciples heard of this conversation, look at this. They lost their tempers with James and John. It didn't just say they were like, come on, guys. They lost their tempers. Now, I would like to think they lost their tempers because they're like, come on, James and John. Don't you know it's all about putting others first in the kingdom? Come on, you guys. We've been with Jesus. You should know this. But I got this, this sneaky suspicion that they lost their temper because they wanted to be the greatest. They wanted to be at the right hand and the left. And like, man, they beat us to the punch. I wanted to be the one to rule in this new kingdom that Jesus is speaking of. But Jesus got them together like he always does. Come on, guys. Look at this. To settle things down. 
He says, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around. Well, of course they did. I mean, they're under Roman occupation. They see the crucifixions. They see the beatings. They see what happens when these godless rulers throw their weight around. He said, and when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. This is key. He says, whoever wants to be great must what? Become a servant. These are strong words. Now listen to this next quote. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Now I think Jesus was really trying to drive a point home. How many know slavery is not right? But the point Jesus is making is every step that you take in this life, are you putting others before yourself? Strong language. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. See, service and giving of our time are defining characteristics of followers of Christ. And every person is gifted to serve. Say, I'm gifted to serve. We all are. Now, many times we may view this idea of serving in a negative light. I remember when I was growing up and even my kids growing up, you know, we, we would have this thing where, where, you know, you try to boss each other around. And what was the famous saying? You're not the boss of me. You're not my king. You can't tell me what to do, right? I mean, I still deal with this sometimes at home. I'm like, what is going on right now? Can we, can we just grow up? And Kristen's like, yeah, I'm waiting for you to. <laughs> I haven't said you're not the boss of me for a couple weeks. Yeah, so it's good. But, but see, it's this, this instant response because we're like, well, I don't want to be someone's servant or someone's slave. But the thing is, serving is a good thing. When you understand who you are and whose you are, it's this natural outflow of being a child of God. It's just what it is. And then you're looking for opportunities to serve others. How can I serve? What can I do? And there's such a fulfillment that comes from that. But this issue, how many know this issue is not a new one? I mean, mankind has dealt with this selfishness since the dawn of time. We have this tendency to withdraw rather than be present and serve others. It's called survival of the fittest. I dominate. I'm the best. I'm messing a little bit, but that's American culture. But think about that. I'm the best. Survival of the fittest is not kingdom mentality. That doesn't mean you can't be successful. That doesn't mean you can't be the best you that you can be. But are we stepping on others to become that? Are we forgetting our other brothers and sisters? Those less fortunate. Hmm? Are we forgetting about that? I mean, again, this is, this is why I'm speaking on this after I pass around the sign-up sheet. Because I'm not about to manipulate anybody. But how many see that these are the words of Jesus, not Andrew? Pastor Andy is saying what Jesus is saying. I, I do my best to say what Jesus says to do. But look back at the disciples here. In chapter 10, we see this altercation, but just one chapter before this altercation between James, John, and the other disciples, we once again see this scenario playing out. So here are the disciples and Jesus. They're passing through Galilee, and they're heading to this town called Capernaum. And as they're going, Jesus must be a little bit ahead of them because behind them, there's this little discussion going on, this, this little argument going on. And Jesus asks this question. He says, hey, uh, what were you guys talking about on the road? You ever been in the car and you're in the back seat with your brother or sister? This is back in the day. And you're having this little thing, having this little argument. And one of the parents goes, hey, what are you guys talking about? And your response is nothing, dead silence. 
Because you know if you say something, you're probably going to be in trouble. Look at this. The answer is they kept silent. In fact, one translation says the silence was deafening. Like Jesus said, hey, what were you guys talking about back in the road? And they're like, zip lips. We're not even saying. It's like they knew what they were doing inherently wasn't right, but it was just this push to be the greatest and be number one. How many know I'm not, I'm not ragging on the, the disciples? Because we all deal with these same attitudes, right? But look, at here's Jesus again in verse 35, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. It says, he sat down, called the 12 disciples. It was like a daycare. It was running the daycare, man. Come on, guys, let's talk about this again. Look at this. He says, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. This kingdom thing's not always easy. It takes quite the paradigm shift in your mind, doesn't it? Like, you have to rethink because culture doesn't say that. I mean, through television and social media and ads, it's always push, be the best. You're number one. Be number one. If you wear these shoes, you wear this outfit, you'll be the best. If you want to look like him, you take this protein. If you want to look like her, you do this, you do that. Why? We want to be the best. And being the best personally for yourself is good, but what it's turned into is I'm the best and I'm better than the rest and forget y'all. And that's not kingdom. The kingdom really comes down to serving. Now, have you ever just watched somebody who maybe you look up to them and they're just like this model of perfection when it comes to sports or nutrition or just how they're successful in life. And then you see those moments where, you know, they're in a hospital visiting cancer patients or they're giving back of their money or their time and you're just moved. You're like, wow, they've, they, they've accomplished so many things and they, they have so much in life. But, but they're utilizing everything that they've gained to help others. And something resonates within you, doesn't it? And you think, man, I, I want to be at that point. I want to be able to do that. But we think because we haven't accomplished all these things or gained all these things in life that we can't be like them. But look what, what the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, now God gives us many kinds of special abilities. Look at this. And there are different kinds of service to God or ministry. All of you, say all of you, together form the one body of Christ. And each of you, say each of you, is a separate, and listen to this, necessary part of it. I love that Paul talks about the body of Christ as a body. Because how many know that we need every part of the body? If you lose a part of your body, you miss something, Right? I, I'm blessed to have both arms and both legs. I mean, some people have, have, have lost those things or had them amputated and they've had to relearn life. And, you know, the, the body is pretty resilient in, in a lot of different ways. But how many know it's better when you're whole and you're complete? And so what, what, what the Apostle Paul is saying here, I believe under inspiration by Holy Spirit, is everyone is necessary down to the little digit at the end of the pinky. Everyone has a place. Everyone has a part. Everyone is necessary. But see, we're in this world where we rate people based on how much they have and who they are, and the kingdom is completely different. It's saying, be the servant. That's how you become first. Become last. See, it's a way of thinking. It's a mode of thinking. Do you follow me? See, at Faith City, we believe that every person has something to give. That's why we're saying, sign up on the sheet. Put your name. Because you never know what could happen. 
You might be there just handing out candy. Next thing you know, you're in a conversation with someone from the community. Who knows? Maybe they need you to pray for them, share a smile, a hug, a handshake, a kind word. And it goes so much further than sometimes we even know. And we think, well, what do I have to offer? Right? But look at 1 Peter 4.10. The apostle Peter says, God has given each of you some special abilities. So what do we do? He says, be sure to use them to help each other out. That's why we have the gifts and the abilities. This is something around Christmas I got, but how many know that a gift is meant to be given? Gifts are meant to be enjoyed. So I love this, this language here of gift because the reason that you're gifted is so that you can then give those gifts away to help others. I know it seems simple, right? But how many know sometimes life gets going and I sometimes I'll be like, wow, I've been really self-centered lately. I've not been thinking of others. I've, it's like when we talked about the important over the urgent. Uh, part of that is we, we completely burn up all our energy and there's none left for anyone else because we spend it all on ourselves. But again, one of the most common excuses that people give for not getting involved in serving or in ministry or helping in the community is that they just don't feel they have the abilities to offer. I don't have anything to offer. But the truth is, nothing could be further from the truth. And here's the cool thing, is not only do we have special abilities or gifts, but they're all things given to you by Heavenly Father. They're given to you by God. I think that's amazing. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.10, it says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the works are already prepared. Isn't this cool? How many have heard, been in church long enough in Galatians about the fruit of the spirit? How many ever read the, how many know what they are? Let's say them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That last one's last for a reason, I think, self-control. But love, so what do we do? We, we read that list, we're like, okay, here's the list. Man, we love our list, don't we? Well, at least us melancholies, right, Kay? We love our list. Let's get going. Let's try to start loving now. But the thing is, it says it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of you. Jesus tells this parable about him being the vine and we are the branches. Jesus was really cool in how he broke this stuff down. Branches don't struggle. The work of producing fruit is both the vine dresser or the farmer and the roots and the vine. The branch is just kind of there going, I'm just abiding in the vine. No pun intended, just abiding in the vine. I mean, you know, I think we're like the second largest um, apple producer in the States. How many have been to an apple orchard? Isn't it awesome? Fresh apples off a tree. But I've often said that if you were to go in the middle of the night with no vehicles around and, you know, just total silence and you're quiet. But just imagine you're in the middle of this orchard and you're listening and you hear. What's going on? Oh, a branch just had some fruit. How many know that doesn't happen? It doesn't happen, just so you know. Branches don't struggle to produce fruit. They just produce fruit because that's what they do. And the fruit comes from the vine. What Jesus is saying is, you want to have love manifest in your life? Then let me do it through you. The seed's there. In fact, the fruit's there. It's already in you. The good works, they're already in you. 
So awaken to who I am in you and allow me to produce that through you. Jesus says, nothing grows unless God causes it to grow. Say this with me. The pressure's off. So what we do is we just lean into the Holy Spirit. We lean into the vine. We rest and abide in his goodness and his grace and his love for us. And guess what manifests? Fruit. Not your own frankenfruit, but real, genuine spirit fruit. That's how it works in life. So he's saying that you've been created for good works. They've been prepared in advance. And guess what? It's part of who you are. So we we can't use the excuse, well, I, I just have nothing to give. No, no, no. God said that he's already put it all in you. You just don't see it yet. I mean, think about it. That's the whole walk of salvation. You know, some people think that, you know, hey, when were you saved? When were you born again? Right? We, we use these, these termino- this terminology, and what we mean is, when did you pray a special prayer and get your, your ticket punched to go to heaven? But the word saved or salvation in the Greek means safety, preservation, deliverance, healing. I mean, wholeness. How many of areas of your life will they need some salvation? That's, that's why it's seen as this thing that's continuing. Those who are working out salvation. See, he's already worked it in. What are we doing? We're working it out. The apostles say to those being saved. It's an ongoing thing. So you know what? You've been created for good works. It's part of who you are. And then if we look back at 1 Peter 4.10 in the NIV, I love this. He writes, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards, look at this, of God's grace in its various forms. I love this. He's saying that the giftings that you have, that they're God's grace in various forms. So when you give that fruit, because how many know fruit's meant to be enjoyed? I don't go to the orchard to pick it and throw it away. I want to pick it and eat it. I want to enjoy that fruit. So what's happening is when you're giving this away, I love how he says this. He says, this is God's grace in various forms. You have this form, they have that form, but it's all God's grace and we're giving it out to others so we can help others. Isn't that beautiful? You are gifted for the benefit of others. And I truly believe this, that real true fulfillment comes when you are using your gifts to serve and help others. Now, for those of you who say, am I really needed? The scriptures say, this is the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, Now you collectively are Christ's body and individually you are members of it. Each part severally and distinct, listen to this, each with his own place and function. Now sometimes what happens is we get into this issue where someone else is trying to tell us what our place and function is. But see, God's already put us in a place and a function. And I'm telling you right now, where that usually is is where you find passion. Where's your passion? Because I remember growing up thinking, If I'm really in the will of God, then it's going to be really hard and something I hate. What do you hate most? What would you hate to do the most? Go to China? That's it, brother. (laughs) Hallelujah. But I don't want to. See, that's why. You got to be obedient. Wait, 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 wait. No. What passion has he given you? And so sometimes we rule out things like, man, but I just love music and uh, I love the arts and I love numbers and I love. Then go do it and be a kingdom person while you're doing it. That's what we're called to do. Say, wow, the pressure's off. Say that with me. The pressure's off. Sometimes we pressure ourselves into things, but love never coerces or pressures. Love is showing you who you are, so then you go. 
wow, I'm going to do this. And you can step out in faith in those areas you know that you have passion for. Because every believer and their gifts are needed. We could say every person is important. So every one of us has a choice to make this morning. Now we could, you know, pull into the church parking lot. We can find our usual spot in the parking lot unless someone, of course, you know, you cuss them out later because they took your spot. And then you make your way to, you know, the most comfortable seat in that row that you love. And of course, someone's sitting there now. It's that first time guest. They must have not got the memo that, you, that that's your seat, right? And then we watch a good service because we don't know how much we want to really participate in that service. And then we chat with a couple friends if they're lucky because we got stuff to do and people to see. You love me? But see, here's what happens. That makes for a nice, safe Sunday experience. Or you can throw yourself into a great adventure by rolling up your sleeves, joining a team of awesome, like-minded believers, and helping to serve others, both in the local church and outside these four walls. And guess what? True fulfillment comes when you're, you're working where you should, where those passions are flowing out and you're loving people. You walk away from those situations going, this is what I was meant for. I was meant to bless and give to others. And that's really what I see. That's, that's what I want to see with this church. I don't care if we're the largest church in the area. Listen, if we go to a certain point, we're going to break off. I love small church. I love family church. We're going to plan another one. Because to me, I, I'm not a mega church. That's not me. Nothing against that, but I love the small element. But the thing is, what I want to see more than anything is people who have found their purpose and their passion, and they're sharing it with others. It's literally just oozing out of you. I know that could sound gross, but love oozing out of you in such a way that people are being transformed by the love of God. That's what we're here for. That's where true fulfillment comes from. So I'm asking you, to seriously consider serving right here in your local church and your local community. I think it's really vital for us to do it because God is consistent in his plan for our lives. Now remember, he is involved in everything you were created to be. Because listen, he would not give us each these inborn abilities, temperaments, talents, spiritual gifts, and life experiences and then say, don't use them. He's like, no, participate, get involved. You will be most effective and fulfilled in life when you're using your gifts and abilities in the area of your heart's desire, that's passion, right? In a way that best expresses your personality and your experiences. And the cool thing about this is then you will be ministering help and love to others. That's what it's about. Now, as we wrap up, because I want to get into a little Q&R, I want to do a little Little, my own version of where are they now? Anyone here under the age of, I don't know, 50 that's ever watched VH1's Where Are They Now? And you're like, some are like, oh, wow, they're successful. They took that money, didn't. Others are like, oh, wow, what happened there, right? Right? How much plastic surgery did they think they needed, right? You're like, bless them, Lord. Heal them, Lord, whatever it takes. But that whole where are they now? So we just had this whole, you know, these stories about the disciples, you know, James and John and Peter and these things that they dealt with in life. How many know that after they spent their three to three and a half years with Jesus, they went on to serve Heavenly Father, to listen to the Holy Spirit? In fact, we're here today because of the apostles, right? So where are they now? Look at James years later. He says in James 3, 13 through 18, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, this is one of the guys who wanted to be the greatest, right? 
He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is where he was at one point. He's speaking from experience. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's not kingdom, right? But it's earthly, unspiritual. He even says demonic. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do you see the difference in James' life? You see the difference in his heart? Uh, Look what the apostle John says, another apostle who wanted to be the greatest. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Look at the switch. Look at the paradigm shift. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Now, he's not saying God doesn't love him. He's just saying this person has not awakened to the love that's already there. Does this make sense? Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but how? In deed and in truth. See, there's good works involved. And last but certainly not least, we've already said this, but look at Peter's transition. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to what? Serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So look at the change that transpired in their lives as they matured in the love and the grace of God. Isn't it awesome? And guess what? We can do the same. Say, I choose serving over withdrawing. All right, let's open it up for any questions or statements. Anyone want to say anything or have a question regarding this? We do have a microphone here, so. I just want to point out that 11 of the 12 disciples did give their lives. Um, And the irony of that is John is the only one who did not die a horrible death serving. Um, He went on to write Revelation, if I recall, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But they did sacrifice their lives for others and serving others. Absolutely. And there's something key about that John not being able to be killed thing. There was something about, if you remember at the Last Supper, it said that John was the one who sat next to Jesus and literally laid his head on his chest. And he actually said, I believe, five times in his gospel when he referred to himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I don't think he was being conceited. I think he understood the love of Jesus, meaning the love of the Father, and it made a difference in his life. So what advice would you give someone who is struggling to find what their gift or special ability is to see where they fit in. You mean at the local church level or just serve? I usually tell people, I remember years ago, I would, I would teach, uh, we had this, and I'd like to get this going again, called Next Steps. For those of you who are newer, some type of um, getting to know us class. And then there was a class I taught called Your, Your Giftings. And so a lot of times I would tell people, if you're not sure what your gifts are, then just sign up somewhere and see what happens. Sometimes we have to actually, you know, get our feet wet. We have to actually step into something. And we always said this thing, we're like, listen, just try it for 30 days. And if you're like, uh, kids ministry, what the was I thinking? 
then, then I get it. Maybe that's not for you, but you have to find your passion, right? And so I think a lot of times the best way is to just plug yourself in somewhere and see how it is. And through just working, you might go, oh, this isn't for me, but you may discover something and go, wow, this is for me. Now, I would say this, if you're like, I'm going to be in the praise team and, and rock and roll, and you've never had a lesson in your life, go get some lessons first, right? So there's, there's areas for all of us. Um, does that answer the question or at least a response to it? <laughs> um, oh, back here. Hi, good morning. Good morning. service. Um, I just wanted to say that with withdrawing, um, that's probably one of the worst things you can do. And if you find yourself withdrawing, um, idleness is the work of the devil and it plays into um, bad thoughts, um, not thinking you're capable or equipped or have enough to give um and if you don't know what your calling is that's okay just play around in different areas until you find your niche and people are a lot more accepting than what you think and can help direct you in that path but don't yeah, give good. in to withdrawing thank yeah. you yeah i agree with you because and that's good that you brought that up there is a healthy withdrawing I mean, there's times where I'm even like, I, I just need to withdraw from everyone, including my family, and get some, some space. It doesn't mean I don't love my family, but I need to, if I don't, then I'm not going to be right. I'm not going to handle things correctly, and so we need to do that. But you're right, when we completely withdraw, it isn't just that you're not, you're not doing something for Jesus. It's that it actually can put you in a place where you feel like you're alone or abandoned, and then you definitely feel, and that's where the enemy comes in. That's where the enemy can tell you whether sometimes the enemy is yourself. Sometimes it's outside sources, right? It doesn't always have to be the boogeyman devil, right? That word Satan or devil, if you study it out in Hebrew and Greek, it means slanderer, right? It means someone who's opposing or standing against you. So sometimes our mind, man, it, it tells us who we are. And I often say this, but it's important that we know whose story that we're believing. Are you believing the story that God tells you about yourself? Or you believe in the story that you're telling yourself? Because sometimes we're not very gracious to ourselves. Um, on the flip side of that is, you know, when you're trying to balance out serving because you have a lot of other commitments or like serving in your family and, uh, or, or with your spouse or, you know, trying to balance out your family, your job, and what other things you can actually be involved in. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. Um, one thing that I've stated uh, several times, and, and my wife and I try to keep ourselves on point, is I will never lose my family to ministry. There's too many pastors, uh, you know, ministers and leaders who they've lost their children. Uh, I heard one guy say it like this, that, you know, one thing that God despised by other cultures back, you know, during the old covenant was child sacrifice. And at one point, some of the kings of Israel began to sacrifice. That's where we actually, I think it was the, the Valley of Hinnom, which then became Gehenna. And Jesus referred to Gehenna, uh, that's translated in the English as hell. But this Gehenna was a literal place. It became a garbage dump. It was where they would, if, if you were poor and you didn't have a burial area, they would throw your bodies in there. It's the place where the fire didn't die and the worm or the maggots. You ever heard these terms? So it was a literal place. But this child sacrifice had become so appalling to God, of course, because he doesn't want that. But I heard one guy say that some ministers have literally sacrificed their kids or their children on the altar of ministry. And that really hit me hard. Like, I'm not going to sacrifice my children on the altar ministry. Like, I'm here for you, 
But if my family's calling, listen, that's why we all do this together. It isn't Pastor Andy and Kristen doing everything. It's all of us together. Does it make sense? And so it's important that we see that. And, and I, I think I need to share, let it get in serving. It is a passion. I mean, you want to do something that's a passion. And, and through my life, I have found that if you have a passion for something, it becomes contagious. Mm-hmm. I mean, Denny and I are really big um, financial peace people. And it's our passion. It's our heart. And so that is something we can reach out to serve in that way. And I also find that in my business in sewing, you take it away from it doesn't necessarily, I mean, I serve here, but you can also serve in other ways. God has opened doors mm-hmm. of opportunity to touch people. Yeah. I mean, sometimes after clients leave, Daniel go, how do you know all that in that little bit of time? But it's creating an atmosphere of being yeah. a servant. And in being a servant, it's an expression of love. Yeah. And if you're expressing love, people sense that yeah. and they open up. And they pour out their heart, and it opens a door of opportunity mm-hmm. for you to serve in that aspect. Yeah. And I think we have to take away from being a servant like it's something terrible. Right. I mean, serving is an act of love. Yeah. And once you begin to put the two together, it changes your perspective on serving. Yeah. And on another hand, it gives us an opportunity here in the body of Christ to get to know people. Right. I mean, I have... All of the people that I've established really good relationships, it's always been in an act of service, whether it's in the cafe or serving downstairs with the food or whatever. You get to be with people that you would never talk to them about common grounds or yeah. what's going on in their life. So yeah. it can be looked at in so many different ways, but I just think we have to look at serving is an act of love. Yeah, It's not a terrible, I have to work. If yeah. it becomes work, it's no longer an act of serving anymore. That's good. That's good. And, you know, I've, I've never, you know, I've never once saw someone or, you know, heard a story about someone who was a servant, had a servant's heart and went, oh, that's horrible. I'm usually like, wow, that moves me. Right. I, I want to be like that. But I like that you took it out of the context of the church. I, I try a lot to do that. It's not just about serving in church. Sure. We, we have departments. I mean, anyone who runs the children's ministry would say we could use some more workers so I could get a Sunday off. Right. So if maybe that's your passion, you want to try it out, go down, talk to them after service, say, hey, you know, I'd like to work with the children. We might have to do a background check on you. You know, that's good and being safe. But but there's different ways to do that. But we have to take it outside the church. And I found that it's just a day-to-day thing, just having that servant's attitude and that servant's heart. And it's not, listen, I'm not always there, but it could be as simple as someone saying, hey, I really need to talk to you or I need coffee. And you're like, man, I'm so busy. I got stuff to do, you know, and going, no. I'm going to put everything on hold for an hour so I can talk to this brother or talk to this sister, which isn't always easy. And that's where even spouses or significant others maybe, you know, have a little more understanding. Listen, babe, I was coming home from work, but, you know, brother so-and-so called him. I stop and, and grab a coffee and just speak with him. He need, that's, that's all right, babe. I get it. That's what we're here for. So it's working together on that so there's an understanding. But it has to go outside the church. It's not, this should not be a bless me club, right? We should be, we should be wanting to bless the community. I have to laugh that you said that about a spouse's thing, too, because I was just thinking about something with that, which has nothing to do with my husband. just want to say that. Um, <laughs> I was married before. And sometimes I think, you know, service where, where it starts is with your spouse. With, if you're not in that kind of relationship with your spouse, it's really hard to carry it to the outside world. And I mean, there's just the flip side of it, that there are people who serve to escape their, mm-hmm. their home life, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. 
It's important. Let's do one more. One more person who hasn't spoke yet, if we want. Um, in, in your sermon, you mentioned about throwing yourself to um, those who are like-minded. Can you speak more to like what it means to be like, like-minded? That makes sense. It's kind of one of those things where I think we should be open to all. And I've done, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach again on this about friendships and levels of friendship and how that plays. Because I think on, 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 on the biggest level, we should be open to friendship with anybody and everybody. Um, but there is something about being, I like what Bishop Jamie says, with your tribe. There's certain people that think alike. Uh, they have some of the same values and theology and ideas. And so it's great to run with them because that can encourage you. But what that doesn't mean is that we don't go outside of that. So, you know, let's be honest. When we join a local church, we're pretty much joining the club that feels like us. I mean, am am I right? Not that we agree with everything, but we're trying to find a place like, ooh, that fits. That feels good. That feels like home. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so that's what I mean by that. Finding place. Maybe Faith City is that place where there's a like-mindedness. It doesn't mean we're we're 100%. Maybe we're 80%, 70, 87, 90, somewhere in there. And so we feel like this this is my tribe. This is a good place for me to uh, be safe transparent, open, to grow. We all need that. And that's why it's important, even some of our closest friends. How many had a really close friend and you were betrayed? That's hard, isn't it? And so that's why that's important that we do find people of like-mindedness or at least like heart, people who don't want to hurt us. And I've found that in life, I've only had two friends like that in my entire life that were that close that I could count on them and tell them anything. Two friends. So it's hard to find. But again, that like-mindedness is just, there's some things there that kind of feel right and feel good and we can talk and even disagree on some things. That's a big thing, being able to disagree and then walk away still friends. Because some people, it's like, if you don't agree with everything I do, I can't be your friend and we freak out and we get scared. And religion does this to us a lot. Religion says, if they don't agree with you, if they're outside that box, be careful, be careful. Be careful, why? Well, because you might, it's a slippery slope. What do you mean? They just, they believe differently in some areas, but I know their heart. So does that help? Awesome. Awesome. Can I pray for you guys? Let's pray. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.